The first reading is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 22, and chapter 11, verse 1. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands, always. Second reading is from St Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, the law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you. My name is Rowan. Uh, I'm usually down at the Garrison Church, but a delight to be with you here this morning. Hello on the live stream as well. Thank you, Stuart, for reading to us. Let me pray as we begin our time together today. Father, thank you for your word. And as we read it, uh, as it was given to Israel... But as we read it now by faith in Christ, we pray that you might help us to see your heart and character and also your call on our lives in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We've been in a series in Deuteronomy called The Verbs of Discipleship, and today's verb is to care. Now, the word may be absent in its, its command, but its principle is actually throughout, as we'll see. But it's more thematic than expository in nature, and in many ways will be insufficient. But I do hope that it's an encouragement for you this morning as we consider our verb, to care. 
To care for something is to look after and provide for the needs of someone or something. If you've experienced care, you know how wonderful it is for people to be attentive to your needs or to provide for your needs, to care for you. And if you have felt its absence, it can be heartbreaking, can't it? Well, the question we'll endeavour to answer this morning is, why are we to care? Uh, the answer, I'll be upfront, is simple. It's because God does. But we'll come to that answer by way of Deuteronomy and hopefully to its fullness in Christ to think about what it means for us today. But we enter it by way of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is a strange land for us in many ways. It is Moses' address to Israel, a covenant renewal of sorts, as he explains and expands upon the law given to Israel at Sinai as they are about to embark on their life in the land after being in the wilderness for 40 years. But it's set in a different time, with a different setting, different structure to life and different rituals. It's a strange world to us. But as we reflect on this theme of care in Deuteronomy this morning, I hope that even though this is a strange world and some of its laws particularly strange, you'll see beauty in the strangest. Because I think if we have eyes to see, there is beauty there, particularly in the way it presents our God as a God who cares. And particularly in the way it calls Israel to do the same. And so we'll look at that theme this morning, a theme of care under four headings you'll see in your outline. Their story, why Israel was to care, their script, how Israel was to care, our story, why we are to care, our script, how we are to care in Christ. Well, we begin with Israel's story, and it's a story that we're familiar with both from the past few weeks as we've been looking at Deuteronomy, but also as earlier in the year we looked at God's mega story of God's dealings with his people Israel as they were about to enter the land, a promise that he was fulfilling to Abraham and the covenant that he had made with him. And so Israel, on the cusp of the land, gather and listen to sermons of sorts from Moses, where he explains what their life will look like, how they are to govern themselves by his law in the land, how they are to be set apart from the other nations, and how they are to care for one another. Their obedience would bring life and blessing, but their disobedience would bring a curse. A verb next week, just so you know, is obey, where Rob Forsyth will explain this helpfully to us, as he always does. But throughout Deuteronomy, there has been a clear pattern. What they are to do, the verbs as it were, stem from who they are. See, in the Old Testament, as in the New, what they are to do doesn't save them. Rather, it's a response to having been saved by God. Redemption comes before law. And this is true of Israel. And we see this pattern stated and stated again and again in Old and New Testaments. But we see it in our passage today in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. It begins with what they are to do. It says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, 
to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today. It's what they are to do. But it stems from who they are, and we see that in verses 14 and 15. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked. And he picks up again on who they are in verse 21. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes speaking of how he saved them. What they are to do stems from who they are. And these wonderful verses, it reflects upon how God has graciously intervened for Israel. He brought them out of the burden of, of slavery and he had chosen them. He set his affection on them. It's like a divine father speaking of his children. And it's a great contrast, isn't it? He is the Lord of the highest heavens and the earth and yet, he sets his affection upon this small nation, this random group in a desert as they await his promises to be fulfilled of a land. It takes our mind to, to Psalm 8, where it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, humankind, that you care for them. Who are Israel? Well, they are those whom the Lord has showed great care for in redeeming them and choosing them. What they are to do stems from that space. What they are to do stems from who they are. And so any commands that come, come a result as, of his saving work, not as a means to earn it. But we see a picture of what they are to do further in verses 17 to 19. And it elaborates on what they are to do a little more by drawing our minds to imitating God. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing we get a window into the heart of God. He is the defender of the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. This is the vulnerable. God cares for them. And the Lord, who here is described in his glory, reveals his heart, and he calls on Israel to reflect the same. They are, in verse 19, to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Israel. As children of God, Israel is required to reflect the character of its divine father. They are to imitate him. Theologian Jason Hood writes it this way, God's love was their story, and that story has become Israel's script. They are to imitate God. They are to care because God has shown care to them. But we see this script in greater detail in the book of Deuteronomy, and this is our second, Israel, uh, second heading, Israel's script. How are Israel to care? Well, Deuteronomy in its structure and content has much to say 
about care, but he's set within the language of the covenant renewal and law. Moses' sermon could be said as a kind of exposition of the Ten Commandments. They are listed in chapter 4, and then throughout the rest of the book, in his sermon, he explains how they are to do and go about this. He elaborates on the first five of loving God and the second five in loving neighbour. And some of this we've picked up in our verbs, in, in worship and love, and we will do so more so throughout our weeks in this book. But particularly, for our purposes today, it's looking at the love of neighbour. It's expanding on and elaborating on those second five commands in the Ten Commandments. But in doing so, it speaks of God's care. And God's care is not just limited to caring for neighbours. In fact, in Deuteronomy, God's care is spoken of in, in many ways. God's care is spoken of in reference to the land, for instance. In the very next chapter, we see this, where it's uh, Moses describes the land God is giving them. He says, you are given a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from beginning of the year until its end. We could say this of all the earth in other books of the Bible, but it's interesting that it's drawn out feature here. Father and son, scholars Douglas and Jonathan Moo point out that just as a result of God's love and care, Israel has been called... So, as part of their fulfilment, the land is connected to it. The land of Israel was chosen to be a blessing to the nations. So, God's attention at this time was specifically focused upon the way they dwelt in the land. It was a visible symbol of uh, his blessing to the wider world. And their, uh, their obedience would bring blessing and fruitfulness and bounty and their disobedience would bring dispossession and barrenness. God cares for the land, and we see through the laws that Israel is also to, to exercise restraint and care for it as well. But we also see in Deuteronomy that God cares for creatures. In his laws to the Israelites, in chapter 2, we see that they are to care for domestic animals even, in the way that they protect them and care for their neighbour. Israel loves their neighbour by respecting and caring for their domestic animals. But more than that, you see a distinct care for wild animals. These are commands to, to reign in the temptation for cruelty and to live sustainably in the land. And when we read these laws, some of them seem very strange, but there is beauty in the strangeness because God cares for creatures. Again, this is not the full picture, it's just a picture that we see of God's care for his creation. But most extensively, and most of the time spent as Moses elaborates on the law, particularly the law to love neighbour, as explained in the second half of the Ten Commandments, he focuses on the care of the neighbour. Care economically. In chapter 15, they are to show kindness and care to what is described as the poor. He says there are to be no poor among you. He speaks strongly about cancelling crushing debts or refraining from pressurising debtors. We can see God's care for the vulnerable. We see 
their care expressed relationally. In chapters 19 to 26, it details how they should conduct their civil life together so that they may flourish, but also their family life and businesses. Much of this seems strange, but much of it was written to protect the vulnerable and restrain them from not loving their neighbour. But we also see that there is protection as God cares for the vulnerable through provision of a safe sanctuary and a safe hearing. An interesting example of this is the command to set up cities of refuge in Deuteronomy 19. These were places who, for people who had accidentally taken the life of someone else, they could go to for safety to receive a fair hearing. These laws not only protected these people, but it also protected others from themselves and the cycles of vengeance. You can see the ways in which the love of neighbour works itself out and God's care. Again, these laws and commands seem strange to us, but there is beauty in the strangeness. In a heart-wrenching New Yorker piece in 2017 uh, titled The Sorrow and Shame of the Accidental Killer, one woman interviewed accidentally, yet tragically, had run over a small child on the road. And she spoke of decades of devastation and grief. However, for her, some relief came in the discovery of this idea of cities of refuge. To quote the article, if I had been in exiled, sorry, if I had been exiled to a city of refuge, I might not have needed exile from myself, she once wrote. She was moved by the idea that in such cities, a person like her could participate fully in a society without shame. I love that there was a way of recognising the true devastation that's been wrought, the harm that's been done without condemning the individual, she said. That's what I'm looking for, to live in the world with acceptance and with opportunity, but also with the acknowledgement that running over this child, in running over this child, something terrible happened and it deserves attention. Now, we might pass and interpret how these laws are to be written differently. However, you cannot evade the care that these cities provided, and I think this author speaks to something of that. So Deuteronomy in its structure and content has much to say about care. God cares for the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner, the vulnerable. Within the law, it's structured in such a way that Israel was to also out of a loving response to the God who showed care and love for them. And Rob will elaborate on this more next week, but adherence to this would bring life and flourishing. Disobedience would bring a curse. And in Deuteronomy 27, we see a list of the curses of a failure to love neighbour, each showing God's care for the vulnerable. But we know from the Bible story that Israel failed to follow the script. In fact, it followed the script of other nations more frequently. In the great swath of biblical history known as the prophets, it's, it's almost unified in its message, a message of judgment about Israel's failure, principally Israel's failure to care. In the prophets, we read that God hates their enthusiastic worship and their sacrifices because they have neglected to care. They've neglected the vulnerable. But the prophets also speak in a unified way of a future hope. 
of a time where God would intervene to set their hearts right so that they would follow his ways. And God would restore the land and restore harmony amongst its creatures and bring justice. So this shows us in part that the Mosaic law was never intended to be the final word. It points forward. But it also shows as we read our New Testament, we read backwards. We see how Christ fulfills what he has come to do in the law. See, the law was given to set Israel apart from other nations, to govern life in the land. But in it we see a beautiful window into the heart of God. But ultimately, the law brought Israel under judgment, for they failed to keep it. They needed new hearts, circumcised hearts, to follow him. Well, our final two headings, which are shorter, our story. Why are we to care? Well, ultimately, like Israel, the law too would condemn us for our failure to care. It's not merely that, like Israel, we won't keep the law, it's that we can't keep the law. We need new hearts. And so the law then, and in its own way now, points out the ways in which we fall short through our own sinfulness and selfishness and our need for a saviour. So in this sense, the law points forward to a new way that God deals with his people. One theologian writes this, the law of Moses does not offer a different way to salvation than the New Testament, but it does present an earlier stage in redemptive history that has not yet flowered to the fullness we see in Christ. It's in the gospel that we see redemptive history in full bloom. Paul writes this in his letter to the Galatians. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Jesus, through his perfect life and obedience, fulfilled the law. And through his death and resurrection, he redeemed those under it, granting them adoption, as Paul says here, the spirit of his son, to give them new hearts. This is who we are. And if we can think of Psalm 8 again, we, with the psalmist in Christ, can think, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, human beings that you should care for them? Well, Paul goes on then in chapter 5 to explain what we are to do. If this is who we are, we're indwelt with the spirit of his son, adopted into God's family. Well, in chapter 5, he goes on, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out that you or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's much to elaborate on in here, and next year we'll be looking at Galatians. But the headlines are that freed from the law and its condemnation, we are now freed to truly love our neighbours, that is, to walk by the Spirit. Because we have been set apart Set apart not through outward things that we do, merely, but from the inside out, 
through an inward change brought about as the Spirit applies Christ's work to our hearts and changes us so that we can walk in His ways, that we can care. The Apostle John puts it this way, we love because He first loved us. And if you can indulge me a little license, we care because He first cared for us. Well, finally, what does our script look like? We live in what has been described as an age of individualism. True humanity, uh, we're often told, is about expressing ourselves, putting ourselves on centre stage. But Jesus frames up life and humanity, humanity differently for us. Jesus summed it up as loving God with our heart, mind and soul and loving our neighbours as ourselves. This is a picture of true humanity. And in his Sermon on the Mount, he expands on what that looks like in great detail. And what's interesting is he doesn't abandon the law, but he draws upon it, he elaborates on it, and reappropriates it for his people, giving us a different picture of what our lives should look like as we seek to love him and love others. And to a watching world, that may be a strange picture, but hopefully there is beauty in the strangeness. Christian ethicist Carter Sneed captures this beautifully when he says, we are most human when we look out for each other. We are most human when we care for each other. The, um, the sense in which we might feel outside of ourselves may be because we have not ordered our lives correctly. And there's a challenge here to put self and not and God at the cent not self, but God at the center. Well, how are we to care? What is our script? Well, there's limitless ways that we read in the New Testament, and many wonderful examples, even within this room, wonderful examples of people who show care for creation, for animal creatures and wildlife, care for those at the beginning and the end of life care for the marginalised, those at risk, the disabled, and wonderfully how we care for each other. There are limitless ways, and limitless ways we can learn from each other in this. But we should hear the challenge this morning as well, because the challenge to, to care comes at a cost. It'll come at a cost to our calendars, it may come at a cost to our careers, but it definitely will come as a cost to our comforts. And so I encourage you to pursue a meaningful conversation with one another about what this could look like for you. Well, we love because he first loved us, and by his spirit, we walk in his ways by caring. And as we do, we hope and pray that people may see beauty in the strangeness. The two ways we're going to respond is through song. In our next song, it's asking for God to align our hearts with his. And then we're going to pray, as we've prayed uh, throughout the service, in our care for our world, for the vulnerable, and for one another. And we also pray, your kingdom come. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, a word that, as we read, can seem strange to us, but we thank you that it reflects your holiness, 
your goodness and kindness to us, albeit in strange ways. But as we read it and as we see it fulfilled in Christ, we thank you for your love for us and we pray that we might extend it to others in care. In Jesus' name, amen.